The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, hey, today we jump into a brand new series called Up Next Hope. And uh, if you got a Bible with you, we're gonna be looking at the whole gospel of Mark in the New Testament. So if you got a Bible, you can turn to Mark. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can also go to Mark there. We'll have it on screen as well. I've mentioned many times, maybe every week, encourage you to bring a Bible, get familiar with where things are at in there. And if you're a note taker, which I do encourage, write some things down um, just because it's easier to remember if you take notes. Um, Heather and I are movie watchers. My wife and I, we're movie watchers. And so um, probably a lot of our date nights include dinner and a movie. And uh, we, we enjoy that. And I, I've mentioned before, like I, I used to want to be an actress. I just, I'm always intrigued um, by, by movies. And um, for her, she would probably say, I'm guessing, by the way, I should have asked her, but I was trying to guess this. Um, so she may be watching this online right now from downstairs in our little studio here. But um, I think her favorite is probably drama. She loves dramas. Um, and then she does love romantic comedies. Um, for me, um, I love a good comedy, but I also love Westerns. Anybody out there love a good Western? Like, I don't know what it is. I love Westerns. My favorite is the modern version of 310 to Yuma. I just dig that movie a ton. Maybe it's because it's the father-son dynamic and this whole thing about that. I just really love um, that movie. And uh, I, probably you guys have maybe favorite genres. I don't know. How many would say you love a romantic comedy? Just raise your hand. You love, that was your favorite thing. Okay. How many would say maybe it is drama? You love a good drama? Um, how about um, anybody horror? Would say horror movies? Okay. Jesus help them, heal them, moving them. Anyway, so those are tough, man. I went and saw, I don't know if it's horror, but Quiet Place 2 recently. Um, sweet Lord of hosts. Anyway, but uh, yeah. Um, how about, uh, how many of you would say musical? You, lo- you love a musical? Okay. Some of you, like, you guys are like, hey, man, have you seen The Greatest Showman? Right? Some of you. Okay, my wife's, I think would, she would say La La Land. Here's the thing. I'm concerned that it's not because of the musical, it's because of Ryan Gosling though. Okay, that's my, so pray for our marriage because that's, you know, anyway, but. Um, and then there's action movies. Anybody, how about action? You love a good action movie? Yeah, um, I, I, I do love the Bourne trilogy. Or is there four now? I think there's four, but anyway. Uh, the Bourne movies, uh, Mission Impossible is fun. Um, kind of dig those. Um, if you were to really read and take note in the gospels, each of them, similar to different types of movies, they have a different feel. And again, it's more than just reading devotionally because a lot of times if you just read devotionally, nothing wrong with that, it's a great habit. But if you just read devotionally, you don't pick up some of the nuance and how things go. And yet, if you were to look at the gospels, when I say gospels in the scriptures, New Testament, the first four uh, books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For some of you that don't know, those would be the gospels. And the gospel word, the, mean, the word gospel means good news. And so when we talk about the gospel, gospels, we're talking about the good news and we'll talk more specifically about what that means. But that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's about the time of Jesus, him walking the earth, teaching, performing miracles, going to the cross, paying the price for sin, dying, being buried, um, and then raising from the dead. That is the window really quickly that the story of all the gospels kind of tell. Matthew in particular takes on the tone as a disciple of somebody who is, is especially in his gospel going back to the Old Testament and pulling scripture from the Old Testament to remind the reader why Jesus fulfills the, 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 um, the, the uh, prophecy about the Messiah coming. So Matthew's a big fan of looking back at the Old Testament and reminding us why Jesus is the Messiah based on Old Testament scripture. John is one of the more simple gospels and the reason... Uh, 
the simplest gospel. And the reason is because um, he's writing to new believers, new Christians, and he's trying to go, here's some of the basics. So a lot of times when somebody first puts their faith in Christ, I will tell them, and maybe you've done this before too, I'll tell them, read the gospel of John because he takes a little more simplistic view of some of the basics about why we believe what we do. So John is that kind of feel. Um, Luke is more detailed than any of the other gospels, specifically because Luke originally was not a disciple, but came to faith in Christ, followed Paul. And you see him in the book of Acts traveling on these missionary journeys. He was a doctor who was writing to help a guy named Theophilus understand the message of Jesus. And so he's giving all kinds of detail that the other writers don't necessarily give. And that's the gospel of Luke. And then you have the gospel of Mark, which is what we're gonna dive into. And the reason I bring up the idea of movie genre is because Mark is basically the the idea of an action movie. He moves from one thing to the next, to the next really, really quickly. In fact, today we're going to go through all of chapter one. We'll be here till about four o'clock. So I hope you brought a lunch. And uh, so, no, I'm kidding. But really we're going to try to get through the whole chapter one. And and Mark is writing like it's an action movie. In fact, the reason it's so important for Mark is because he's writing to Rome. If you go back in history to, you know, the time of Jesus. And then of course, right after and the establishment of the New Testament church, the first century church, Mark is writing to Rome and the Roman empire. And the reason is because they were experiencing a certain time of peace and they all spoke a common language. So he felt like in his heart, that's a perfect time for the world to know who Jesus is. So when we read Mark, it's action packed, it's fast moving and over and over and over, he's helping us identify Jesus with certain titles. In chapter one, in particular, we're gonna talk about like the son of God. We're gonna talk about this idea of the Messiah. And so right as we jump in, um, we're, we're gonna land. But, but again, the idea of action is this, Mark does not start with Christmas. Let's skip Christmas. Let's skip Mary and Joseph in the manger and, and let's skip, you know, this whole, the wise men and shepherds, forget it. He, he, he moves right beyond that. Matthew and Luke give genealogical records and, and all these names and details that, that Mark doesn't give. And Mark starts in verse one, basically with this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And notice what he says. He doesn't just say Jesus. He says about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Throughout Mark, he's constantly giving us pictures. This is who Jesus is. Don't forget who Jesus is. He's not just a guy. He's not just some dude who had great things to say. He's not just somebody who could somehow do miracles or teach nice things. No, no, no. This is who he is. And he wants Rome to know it. And he wants you and I, even today, I believe, to know that this is very important. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. If you're taking notes, Luke, sorry, Mark is specifically quoting Malachi. So you can write that down real quick. Just write Malachi or Malachi, however you want to say it. Um, Anyway, that was Italian version. Horrible joke. Would you just stop with that, Nick? That's dumb. Okay. Um, Anyway, but Isaiah, if you're taking notes, write down Isaiah 40 verses one through 10 specifically verse three, but this is where Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus came on the scene, talks about this idea of somebody coming to prepare the way. We know that today as John, we call him John the Baptist, okay? So it starts out with this idea of of, of John the Baptist coming and he's bringing a message that we would say is a message of repentance. He says, prepare the way and make straight paths for him. It goes on to say, verse four, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, this is important. Now, this is important because John's message was one of repentance, which is a little different than the idea of being baptized into becoming one of the nation of Israel, one of the Jews. So they would go out and baptize as a now you belong to us. But John specifically was baptizing with a greater detail for you and I to understand. It's a baptism of repentance to deal with the issue of sin. Now, what I love is in a few moments here, Jesus is gonna pick up the baton because John is gonna hand it over to him in just a few moments. It says, the whole Judean countryside, verse five, and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River, which is what I just talked about. Now, verse six, I love this one. Picture this. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Like, this is a weird dude. I'm thinking of like some of the runways and the models and all the weird things they wear. Like, this is John right here. Like, he's got the camel's hair and he's kind of doing the, you know. Kind of thing. And then he smiles and he's got bugs in his teeth and all that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, it says he ate locusts. Anybody ever been to a Mariners game the last few years? Okay, anybody ever tried one of the uh, crickets or whatever they put in there? Yeah, the line, yeah, Steve McKinley. I saw the video. Steve McKinley and I went to a Mariners game a few years ago and, and we ordered up the crickets and we ate the crickets. Okay, anybody ever been on a long road trip during the summer? Okay, what does the front of your car look like? Right? Okay, hold on. No, no, hold on. The front of your car and you get home from vacation and you're going, you know, I got to wash these off. So what do you do? You get out the hose and you spray it down. You begin to run and it's hot out. So what happens? The smell of the bugs, right? Anybody ever? Three of us? Come on. No, that smell is exactly what they taste like. It's like, it's just bugs. Like that lime chili idea doesn't do much. And then you're like picking legs out. Like, so anyway, okay. Okay. This is John. John is weird. And I'm like, you know what? Thank God John is weird because I'm weird too. And you're weird. And we fit in with this whole picture. So this is great news for all of us. But I love how, and again, go back to what Mark is saying. Mark says, John came to prepare the way for Jesus, who is the Messiah, the son of God. This is the whole picture that, John, that, that Mark is gonna continue to paint throughout his gospel. Okay, verse seven and eight. He says, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Time out. Mark, once again, is helping us understand the nature of Jesus when he says, John the Baptist felt unworthy to stoop down and untie his sandal straps. Why is that a big deal? Because what you learn about John the Baptist in the New Testament, and Jesus says it, is that, that there's nobody greater in, in, in mankind than John the Baptist. So again, Mark is reminding us, giving us little hints here that if, if this Jesus is this Messiah, then you know what? John the Baptist is like on this crazy pedestal. This guy's amazing. This guy's holy. This guy's bringing conviction. People are coming from all over to, to you know, be baptized by John. And yet Mark says, it's John who says, when this guy comes, who is coming, because he's preparing the way, when this guy comes, who is coming, I'm not even worthy to touch the straps of his sandals. Do the lowliest job of a servant in a household back then to take off the sandals and wash someone's feet. John says, this guy is so amazing that, that I can't, I'm, I'm unworthy to do that. So he's, again, Mark is giving us a picture 
of who this Jesus is, not just another dude, not just a great teacher, something far more than that, Messiah, son of God, is, is a hint towards that, who this is. At that time, okay, we're moving right on, okay, this is fast. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Okay, I love that verse because again, you can imagine Jesus showing up and John being like, like I'm not even worthy. And by the way, if you're taking notes, write down Mark 4, or sorry, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. That's a bigger picture of who Jesus is and, and, and kind of what goes on in his life. Um, and, and so we, we get a little more detail about Jesus and, and, and we're gonna get to the temptation in a moment. It says that, that John baptized Jesus and you can imagine how he felt. We know in another gospel, it specifically says, like, like I, I need to be baptized by you and, and you come to me. And Jesus says, you need to baptize me. This is what needs to happen. And so John reluctantly with this sense of holiness in him, this fear of God, baptizes Jesus. And then something pretty cool happens. It says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Can you imagine? Like we've done a lot of baptisms. I've never seen that happen. Like, I'd be like oh, okay, what? But, but here, another thing, again, Mark is giving us hints constantly. What does he say about who Jesus is? What, is? what is this voice from heaven, which would be God the Father, what does this voice from heaven say? You are my son, but it's not just son as in just another kid. It's capital S, son. Okay, this is a bigger deal. Once again, Mark is telling us this is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. It's a big deal. And he's, he's reminding us that, that as John feels unworthy, that, that man, in the midst of what goes on, John knows, Mark knows, our hope is in Jesus. The life we have, we find through the work of Christ. And then he says, I baptize you with water. Again, he's doing that like crazy but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes, write down John 15 and then write down Acts 1 and 2. This is the fulfillment. Those, those chapters are the fulfillment of what Mark says about John's words about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's this empowerment to live holy lives and to be witnesses to the world around them. That, that's, that Mark's thrust of the message is this Messiah and being witnesses. At that time, Jesus, oops, sorry, let me, let me, sorry, verse 12. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was, uh, and he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. This is a, this is a big one because well, what does that mean? I mean, he goes out and he's fasting for 40 days and it says he's with the, the animals, he, basically meaning he's not around people right now. He goes out to the wilderness and it says angels attended him. I don't know what that would be like. And again, it's kind of this miracle that happens, but he's fasting for 40 days and being tempted. And again, I mentioned Matthew 4 a minute ago. That, that fits right here because that's a bigger description of the, the temptation that Jesus faced. So Matthew 4 is, excuse me, where that one fits. And then verse 15, 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
Jesus takes John's message and continues to preach it to the people. He grabs that baton and brings up that same deal because John is put in prison again, reading other gospels. There's a lot more description. Mark moves right past what goes on with John. We know later on, we find out that he's beheaded and and stuff like that. But all Mark says is he was put in prison and now it's about Jesus, okay? Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the uh, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee and the uh, other hired men in the boat and followed him. Again, we're moving on to the next thing. Jesus goes out and he's tempted and now he's coming back and he's hanging out by the shore and he sees these guys, he says, come follow me. But specifically notice that he says, come and follow me and you will fish for people. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, it's a, the reminder from Mark that the gospel is incredible, that for, for those of us sitting here, those of you that are watching at home, this matters in a great degree. This, this matters to a great deal for, for us to understand the message of the gospel is meant to be shared. That for you and I to shine the good news matters a great deal to Mark because he wants people to desperately know it. And if you think today, you already said that, you're being super repetitive, I want you to wrap your head around Mark's passion. So he's saying Jesus went out and gathered some disciples. And then he's gonna move on to the very next thing, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, not as their teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Okay, Mark brings into, in the same chapter, another portion of the story. Jesus gathers the disciples after his temptation. He goes in to teach in the synagogue. He has a certain authority that other people haven't seen and they marvel at him. And this individual that has an impure spirit, literally something like this, where somebody would stand up and go, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. And he identifies, Mark identifies once again, based on what this individual says. I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Going back to this is the Messiah. And this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And so that's where Jesus says, be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. Now, the reason Jesus has said, be quiet, is, is not because he didn't want everybody to know who he was, but because if, if word spread too quickly, it could be a problem sooner than it needed to be. Now we know, as I've said before, little by little through the gospels, that he continues to get turned up on who Jesus is. I made a joke, I think even last week, where at first they're like, this is a weirdo. And they're like, wait a minute, he's doing stuff. Hold on, people are following. Okay, now we don't like him. Okay, now we're angry. Now we wanna have him killed. It was a progression. This is the beginning of the progression where they're like, this guy's kind of weird. This is kind of strange. But he says, be quiet, because at this point, he's like, I don't want people to understand the idea of the Holy One of God. As soon as they left the synagogue, 
They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. I, I love this story because I find some comedy in it. I look at this and go, wait a minute. Like she, here's this woman, she's sick. Jesus prays, she's healed. And they're like, now, can you go grab us some food? Like, wouldn't you feel kind of bad? Like, okay, you just got better. Why don't you relax, right? Let me kick your feet up. Let me massage your back a little bit or something. But they're like, hey, grab us some food. You know, like, okay, so that's just my deal, but we'll keep going. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and all those that were demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also, again, once again, drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's a similar story as what happens in the synagogue. And so here's this whole town, and it says he doesn't want these demons to speak because his time, if word spreads too quickly, will ramp up too soon. It goes back to what I just said. Now, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is one of those verses that I memorized a long time ago. And I love it because I'm like, man, I wanna be challenged to have the kind of prayer life Jesus has. I was talking with uh, my accountability partner recently just about how I'm doing and what's going on. I said, man, the one thing I just feel like in my busyness right now has been that my prayer life has really suffered. And I wanna kind of figure this out. And when I read this, I'm like, Lord, there it is. And here we are, like it's June. And so for you and I, the sun comes up like at 1 a.m. Like, what are you doing up? You know, like, come on. But anyway, I love this verse and I hope it's a challenge. Maybe it's something for you to underline, to highlight, to, to memorize. Mark 1, 35. Simon and his companions, verse 36, went to look for Jesus. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And I love Jesus. He doesn't even respond to what he's saying. Let's, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why. I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Mark over and over is mentioning the miraculous power that Jesus had, the authority that Jesus had, even in the spiritual realm. And we see this and, and, it, and it's Mark wanting to make clear who Jesus is. Now, keep in mind, we're not just talking about for people 2000 years back. We're talking about as a reminder for you and me today, the, the, the work of Jesus in us, that we live in the, you know, the church age, you could sort of say. The church is established in that first century after Christ and has been continuing for a couple thousand years. But here's the deal. If you go back to what Mark had said about the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what you and I are supposed to have been given. That you and I live according to the power of the Spirit. That, that, that we walk in a certain authority. We don't have to live in fear of the things that can harm us, things that can overwhelm us, things that can, can you know, lead us off track. So he says once again, this idea of driving out demons, Jesus has this authority. In verse 40, a man with leprosy came and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He's so angry about this guy having to live this way that he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, be clean immediately. The leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses required for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
So Jesus says, look, I don't want everybody to hear. Don't tell everybody, but go to the priests because those are the first people that need to know that something is going on. Mark is saying there's a Messiah that is coming and Jesus is that Messiah. And it began with his confession, show yourself to the priests so they know that I'm the Messiah. Over and over, Mark is saying it. You can go, how many times are you gonna repeat what happens in this chapter? It's because Mark's theme is huge, not just for then, but for today. Let's continue, we're almost done here. The whole chapter, it's like a miracle. Instead, verse 45, last one of the whole chapter. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely. <laughs> he didn't listen at all. I'd be afraid I get leprosy again, like if I, if I disobey. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Somebody that said it this way years ago, he, he had a dose of the I can't help it. People say it's like diarrhea of the mouth. I mean, I don't know about you, leprosy is devastating, limb deforming, debilitating. He, colonies of lepers that couldn't exist in normal society. And this guy's healed. It's all he can do to go, you don't understand. It's this Jesus guy. It's this Jesus guy. Mark says demons were, were delivered because of this Jesus guy. People were healed because of this Jesus guy. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is who people are thinking he might be. And even though they had been waiting 400 years, what do I mean by that? The end of the Old Testament is Malachi. That's the last book the prophet Malachi, a few chapters. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then the birth, which we don't get a picture of here in Mark, but then John the Baptist. And that's when people are going, something's going on. And Mark is going, yeah, something's going on. It's Jesus. It's not just this guy from Nazareth. He is the son of God. It's not just this guy that, that, that can do cool things and say stuff with authority. He's this Messiah. Why do I make such a big deal out of it? Why do I keep saying, why am I so repetitive? The guy kept talking about it. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. At this point, and this is just a, a it's not a huge span of time from John the Baptist to what's happened here with Jesus in one chapter the whole region is aware. All of a sudden, everybody begins to know, hey, there's something about it. And everybody wants to be a part. Maybe they just want to witness a miracle. Maybe they just want to see this guy. Well, we've heard stuff. Let me, let me see him. And yet Mark makes a big deal because he wants the reader to know Jesus is a miracle working, self-sacrificing savior. And he wants the reader to know because Jesus wants to come into their lives. It's the same today. Mark's theme is still what we talk about, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The invitation for a savior to come into each of our lives. That's what Mark wants. That's what Jesus wants. That's what Jesus has always wanted. Lord, come into my world. I'm grateful for what you did then, but it still matters today that if we want that new beginning, it's in Christ. 
If we want forgiveness, it's not to do good things to outmeasure the bad things we've done in our lives. It's a Messiah. It's the grace and a savior. Mark says it just in chapter one, over and over and over and over. Story after story, shifting from this thing to that thing. It's a savior. Inviting him into our lives is what really matters. And that's what Mark's saying. In this series, we're gonna be praying prayers together. And, and there's times where I'll say, hey, would you just repeat a prayer after me? And today's one of those days, but throughout this series, we're gonna do this. But today I wanna start with this, a prayer of preparation. That as we continue through the gospel of Mark, we, we say up next hope as a title of this series because over and over Mark is trying to go, look, there's hope. Look, there's hope. Look, another avenue, another facet of that hope. It's in Christ. And so I don't typically type out prayers. I almost never do. But I'm a, I've got a prayer that I've typed up that I just would ask you to repeat after me. If you just wanna prepare your heart as we get into this series, can we do that? Let's just bow our heads together. Just repeat after me. Just say, Jesus, prepare my heart for your hope. I pray you and your action-filled life would intersect with mine in a way that wakes me up from any sleep, from any apathy. Just as John called the people to repentance, I respond with a repentant heart. Break my heart with what breaks yours. Open my heart to your work that I might live in your hope daily. Let this study change me in Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for all you've done. As we look at the life of Mark, as we continue to navigate through the gospel and what Jesus has done, I pray it would be liberating. I pray it would be hope-filled week after week, God, ways that, that you've worked and done things that, God, we don't have to earn or we don't have to somehow figure out as a mystery, but you've given to us. Open our eyes, do that work, and thank you for how you're gonna prepare our hearts for this series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.